0: December 18th, 1965. Lieutenant Barnum and his company were pinned down by a hail of enemy gunfire. Casualties mounted rapidly. And in the face of seemingly insurmountable odds, he was forced to assume command and lead. I'm honored to be joined by Medal of Honor recipient US Marine Colonel Harvey "Barney" Barnum on this episode of Pick Up the Six podcast. Sir, it is an honor and a privilege to welcome you to the show.
1: Well, thank you, Brian. It's uh, good to be on board with you.
0: Absolutely. You know, any time that we have the ability uh, to speak to a Medal of Honor recipient, we're grateful. We're so grateful for our friends over at the Congressional Medal of Honor Society. They've just been just great partners in helping make these connections. You know, heroes like Melvin Morris, who joined me on this show. and We had an incredible conversation, fellow Vietnam. Uh, veteran as well, like yourself. And so, so we're, I'm just so grateful for them for, for making the connections uh, to let us have these conversations. And I think important conversations so that we remember that incredible sacrifice that's happened.
1: Well, I, I think they do. They do do a great uh, service and uh, they look out for us and, and guide us and, and make things like being on your show happen. Because, uh, you know, this is history in the making and and we record it for posterity. And uh, so it's, you know, it, 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 so other people can look at it and, and understand the legacy and what Medal of Honor recipients uh, continue to do for their country and, and uh, that, uh, that uh, we don't look at ourselves as heroes. But uh, that medal, which I have worn now for 57 years, uh, gets us into a lot of venues like yourselves. I mean, I wouldn't be on your show if I didn't have the Medal of Honor. So it gives me an opportunity to share uh, with the people of this great country uh, what it's like to uh, have worn the cloth of this great country.
0: Yes, sir. You mentioned the word legacy. We're going to talk about your role as legacy chair for the society a little bit later. But I want to get to know Harvey Curtis Barnum and and how that young man ends up in the military. We'll get to the Vietnam part of it. But what was your path that, that got you into the Marine Corps?
1: Well, you know uh my senior year of uh high school we had career day in in the auditorium and they had all the boys in there right and and recruiters from all the services well the army recruiter got up and there were cat calls and whistles from the students in the navy and the air force the same this old marine gunny got up slammed his books down on the table and said there's no one in this room i want in my marine corps you're undisciplined and then he began to chew out the faculty in the back (laughs) <laughs> for letting the boys get out of get out of hand, picked up his stuff and walked off the stage. Well, uh, when the uh, when the assembly was over, I lined it up at his desk. He's packing up, going home, and I uh, lined up at his desk and asked him a lot of questions and and uh, I I just looked at this guy. Here's a guy that had a job to do, uh, did it, was disciplined, motivated, uh, goal oriented. I said, you know, I think I'd like to be like him. And uh, so I signed up for the platoon leaders class. I went to St. Anselm College in New Hampshire. St. Anselm didn't have an ROTC. So this is an avenue for Marines that aren't available to a uh, ROTC program in the college to uh, gain a commission. So I signed up and... uh, in the PLC program, and, and uh, when I got to St. Anselm, I went to my first training session at Quantico between my uh, freshman and sophomore year, six weeks, and then uh, second six weeks uh, between my junior and senior year, and then I was commissioned a second lieutenant upon graduation.
0: So what year was all this? What, what year did you graduate high school? What year did you leave college?
1: I graduated high school in 1958. And college, uh, 1962.
0: Did your family have military history at all? Anybody World War II? Or no, uh,
1: well, a little, uh, I had a, a cousin that served in the Marine Corps in the occupation of World War II. My dad, uh, uh, was deferred, deferred, deferred because he was in poultry position, uh, production. And then, uh, in 44, when everybody was getting, uh, drafted, mm-hmm. uh, my father joined the Marine Corps and i asked him uh and but he did not uh, end up going they passed the age law two weeks before he was to leave the paris island and and uh, that's very fortunate for me because uh, those who went through boot camp the time my dad would have gone through at 44 landed on iwo jima mm. i would have grown up without a father
0: mm, yeah
1: most likely yeah
0: the odds so of that are I, asked dad, odd. I
1: asked my dad why he joined the marine corps and he says he wanted to be the best trained to come back uh, after the war to his to mom and his two boys. Well, that's stuck in that's stuck in me also. So,
0: yeah. So I got to you know, think. I, I got to think when you made that decision. Yeah, it was important was, to him.
1: Huh? I was I was very active in scouting as I grew up and and uh, a disciplined, routine, uh, goal oriented uh, type, and it agreed with me. So I think it was a, it was a right choice. Uh, I'm glad I made that choice because, uh, you know, I went on to uh, serve uh, active duty 27 and a half years and uh, it was a way of life for me. I, it, I didn't look at it as a job. I mean, it was so rewarding to, to have a task that you had to accomplish, explain it to your young Marine, step back and, and let them do it. And at times give them a little more uh, rudder correction and so it um, it uh, really affected me. I, 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 I enjoyed uh, uh, serving as an officer of Marines.
0: After you're commissioned, uh, at what point uh, is Vietnam a reality for you? Uh, and take me into the, those early moments of that.
1: Yeah, well, I was uh, commissioned 62. Um, and in 65, I was transferred um from the second Marine Air Wing. My first tour was in the third division in Okinawa. Then I went to Cherry Point in the second uh, Marine Air Wing on a cross tour. And uh, and then I was transferred to Hawaii Marine Barracks. And, uh, you know, we were getting word about uh, the Vietnam War going on in 60, uh, uh, 63, 64, um, 65, so um, I was at Marine Barracks, uh, Pearl Harbor, and uh, one of the uh, officers in another barracks on the island said, you know, here we are, uh, there's a war going on and, and, and we're saluting admirals and guarding doors uh, at the secu- it's, it's security. So he went to General Kulak, uh, commanding general of Fleet Marine Force Pacific. And said, you know, why don't you send a couple of officers and staff NCOs to Vietnam for a couple months serving their MOSs so they can come back and and tell the troops that are guarding doors and saluting admirals and doing security uh, duty uh, what war is all about. Well, so General Krulok thought that was a pretty good idea. Well, a, a a quota came out and the first quota came out was to Marine Barracks Pearl Harbor, which I was a member of. And of course, every uh, captain lieutenant wanted to go, but I uh, I went to the uh, did a little end around here. I went to the commanding officer, father of six children, and said, Colonel Limweber, uh, why don't you send me? I'm the only bachelor in the barracks. Why don't you send me during the holidays so that the uh, other lieutenants and captains can spend the holidays with their families, and they'll get an opportunity to go. And well, he thought that was a pretty good idea. So I was the first to go on this on this, uh, temporary duty. And, and I, and I landed in, in Vietnam, uh, first part of December, 65.
0: Yeah. So that was gonna be my questions. when did you go boots on the ground, you know, in country?
1: About, uh, the first week in, uh, in December into Okinawa first and then, and then, and then down to Da Nang. And when I got into Da Nang, then, uh, I was assigned to the 12th Marine Regiment, being an artilleryman and they send me down to the 2nd Battalion, 12th Marines, and and subsequently down to Echo Battery. Mm. And uh, so my job was to become, a to go out with the infantry as a forward observer, work in the battery area, et cetera, et cetera. And soon after I was there, I was assigned to hotel company, 2nd Battalion, uh, 9th Marines. And, and a couple of days after I joined them, we went out on our first patrol uh, down on the Anderson Trail. Matter of fact, where the, one of the first ambushes in Vietnam took place. And we were operating with uh, 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 South Vietnamese forces. And uh, on into this patrol, we got a call to report to the rear that we were going to be sent off on Operation Harvest Moon to, to replace a company from the uh, Second Battalion, Seventh Marines. So we got back to the rear, and we loaded on uh, CH, uh, Fifth um, Thirty Four helicopters, and we're flown up into the Quaison Mountains, and uh, we we dropped off. And then they on the return trip, they brought people from it was either Echo or Fox Company. I forget. They had some casualties and a lot of immersion foot. They had been walking in water for about ten days. Hmm. So uh, by the time our whole company was uh, brought in by H-34s and, and, and then uh, the other couple from 2nd Battalion was uh, uh, medevaced out, uh, then we became part of the, the battalion movement. And I was with them for about three days. And uh, one day I heard some shooting and, and they got a prisoner. And then that night, I'll never forget that night, the uh, 17th of of december raining like a son of a gun and uh my radio operator myself pfc uh, or uh, corporal iconado from uh, from chicago we got under a poncho liner and i want to tell you we hugged, we we got as close as we could to each other just to keep warm mm-hmm. that was the most miserable night i think i've ever spent in my life mm. um the next day. Uh, That's
0: one of those days where it was raining sideways and from the bottom. Oh, yeah,
1: Well, the whole thing is, you know, when you get wet, even during the day, if the temperature was down in the 50s, it's colder than hell in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, 20 and 30 degree temperature drop. That has a hell of an effect on your body. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so, uh, but anyhow, uh, so the 18th of December was supposed to be the last day of Operation Harvest Moon and we were coming back down out of the Quaison mountains. And the second battalion, the seventh Marines was in a battalion of companies online movement. Uh, my company, uh, hotel company was the rear element and we acted as a rear element security. And uh, anyways, uh, uh, most of the battalion, three, four companies ahead of us had come into the village of Kifu and we were still outside to, village of Kifu and I heard some shooting up forward and all of a sudden all hell broke loose uh at the end of the column. Hmm. Uh the initial rounds, uh you know that, that the uh, the communists uh if if they don't they don't have NCOs that do anything officers do everything. So their doctrine is you take out the leadership of the enemy and everybody else will stand around. Well sure. that doesn't happen in the Marine Corps. Yeah that's right. Well, they picked up. Do you think
0: they? Do you think Warman. they? You think they, did, they didn't know that, right? They did not have a sense for how our military was to operate. Really, in well, this, right, to train yeah. up the next man, so you're always ready to assume when you need yep, to.
1: Yep. and and I'll get into that in a minute. But yeah. they uh, they were well camouflaged, well entrenched, dug in. I mean, they let three companies go by the position where I got ambushed. I was the last one out, and uh, they had uniforms. They had rank insignia, they had patches, Uh, they were NVA. And they were well-disciplined. Well, anyways, they picked out Captain Gormley, uh, walking with a forty-five on his hip, a map in his hand, and uh, a P.F. Savoy, his radio operator, with a big whip antenna, uh, the the PRC-25, walking behind him. And so the ambush was triggered. The initial rounds hit him and Savoy. They morally wounded Captain Gormley. Uh, killed a radio operator and two other Marines that were right near them. Uh, they were probably uh, 75 meters out on a, a dike going into Kifu. And I was still behind them. Well, first time I've ever been shot at, Brian. Yeah. And I. And
0: remember, remember th- guys, you're three weeks in, two and a half weeks in at this point. Right. You said you got the early. Oh, yeah, you yeah. You're yeah. not but two I, weeks I, yeah, in. I'm,
1: I'm. I'm less than. Well, I'm less than three weeks. Yeah, and I'd only been with this company uh, three or four days. They didn't know my name, so uh, you are that fresh, yeah. Uh, but they, um, they, uh, they uh, um, took orders for me because I had a bar in my car. Okay.
0: I'll tell you what, uh, Colonel. Let's do this. I want I want to read a moment from the citation uh, and use that to work our way through it, and then get your reaction, and and you can kind of take us back into the story. So the citation for when you were ultimately awarded the Medal of Honor after this fateful day that you're beginning to describe reads this. For conspicuous gallantry and intrepidity at the risk of his life above and beyond the call of duty, when the company was suddenly pinned down by a hail of extremely accurate enemy fire and was quickly separated from the remainder of the battalion by over 500 meters of open and fire swept ground and casualties mounted rapidly, Lieutenant Barnum quickly made a hazardous reconnaissance of the area seeking targets for his artillery. You talked about the mortal wounds to the commander, the radio operator killed. It's on in this moment. And you said sort of all hell broke loose. What's happening here?
1: Well, as I said, I looked up uh, uh, after I hit the deck and, and, and all these troops are look at me. I started calling in artillery. And then I see the corpsman running by me, Doc West from Chicago. He says, skippers down, skippers down. I looked out there and I see a pile of, of Marines and uh, he got shot two or three times going out there. And my scout sergeant, uh, uh, PFC McLean, ran by and he goes out to protect the corpsman. He got shot a couple of times. And uh, then I'm um, I'm back in art, adjusting my artillery and the rounds. Uh, we had some machine guns on our right flank that were um, really had us pinned down. And uh, so I fired at them first. Well, uh, the rounds were going over my head because I was on the gun target line. And so I talked to the battery and I said, you know, we're taking strap metal in our position. He says, you know, you're max range, uh, old ammunition. It's a it's a brainy, uh, lousy day. He said, uh, you know, the rounds are gonna be erratic. So I decided at that point that uh, that I would take on targets between me and the guns. Mm. And uh, then, as I said, I see the, the corpsman had run by and, 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 uh, and the McLean. And then I realized that uh, company commander's out there. The company radio's out there. So I ran out and picked up Captain Gormley in my arms and brought him back uh, to a covered position. We talked. Uh, he died in my arms. He was he was gut shot, and as I said, it was either I think it was a, a rocket that hit him. And then um, I ran out and took the radio off the dead operator, brought it back, uh, strapped it to myself, uh, got on the net, called the battalion commander, and I who I've never met. I didn't know their call signs. I just you know this is this is uh, this is Colonel Barnum. The I mean uh, Lieutenant Barnum. The uh, artillery forward observer uh, and uh, the company we were ambushed, Company commander died in my arms. And I, I, I brought him up to date on the casualties involved. And I says, uh, I'm assuming it's command of this company. And, you know, that goes to the point uh, about uh, taking charge in the Marine Corps. We have a chain of command. And if the person senior to you gets killed, then you step up. And hopefully uh, you make the right decisions and, and give the right uh, leadership and and uh, lead that 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 unit. Well, that's what I did. And I got on and I told the uh, battalion commander and he asked a, where the exec was. And I said, yeah, I don't know. And then the platoon commanders were all in a battle by themselves. They were surrounded now on, on three sides. And uh, so we had one hell of a fight going back there. So he says, well, make sure that it sounds like you know which you got a good handle on what's going on. Make sure everybody knows that you are in charge. And I did. At that point, I, start, I turned the artillery uh, adjustments over to uh, uh, Icon my radio operator, who was a good FO, I got to tell you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then started running the company. And the first thing I did is uh, run some counterattacks against uh, the uh, machine guns. Because uh, they really had to spin down. And at that point, uh, General Platt, the task force commander, was flying around on a Huey. And uh, he says, I've got, uh, there were jets up there, but they couldn't come down because of the overtaps. And uh, so um, he said, I got a couple of helicopters, uh, armed helicopters. You think you can use them? I said, oh, yeah. Yeah, bring it on. He turned them over to me. And I controlled the air at that time. And the main thing was to take out those machine guns on our right, uh, and uh, and which I, when I went up on this little knoll with a three-five rocket launcher uh, with White Fosters, Willie Peter rounds, and I fired the three-five at the machine guns that I wanted taken out, and boy, those helicopters, gunships came right in and hit those targets. Well, then either um, either I ran out of ammunition or the or the three-five rocket launcher malfunctioned. Uh, I went up on this knoll and I, I pointed my arms at the targets. And the helicopters flew. I don't remember doing this. I'm told this afterwards. Mm. The helicopters flew down the axis of my arms as I pointed at the targets. Uh, then I then I organized a counterattack to to go in and get what was left of those machine guns. And the first squad that I sent uh, got chewed up pretty bad. So then I got the next squad, and I led that squad. And we went through, and we would, and uh, and uh, we knocked down that enemy fire enough so we could maneuver. Up until that point, boy, they had us pretty well pinned down, and anybody that moved got shot.
2: Hmm.
1: And uh, so, uh, and we're fighting on three sides of me now. Uh, on into the battle, three or four hours. Uh, it's getting dark. The ceiling's closing in, and uh, Casley's mounting and and uh, running out of ammunition. So uh, I got on the, on the, oh, I guess the battalion commander called me and said, uh, Barnum, you gotta come out. We can't come get you. We're in a fight in the village. So he says, uh, you gotta come out. Well, I knew there was no future in staying in there that night. There wouldn't have been enough body bags in, in Northern i to, Corps to take us out of there the next day. So I had engineers blow down some trees, brought in helicopters took out the dead and the wounded. And then I had engineers blow up any equipment that was unusual. And then to make ourselves light, I, I had everyone throw their packs in the pile and we burned them. Well, that was, you know, but I want to tell you at that point, uh, those troops did what I told them when I told them, because uh, we were making success and I was doing it with them. I wasn't standing back and say, do this, do that. It was okay. Let's go do it. Follow me. And they didn't even know my name. They didn't yeah, even know yeah. my name. And uh, so uh, then uh, 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 it was time to come out. And I remembered only three years over my shoulder was a officer basic training. And by the book, you set up a base of fire and you, you'd leap fraud by, by uh, squads or fire teams forward. and You know, that's how you got out of a, a, a situation like that. Well, I tried that. And I knew we'd be. It'd been uh, here. We are December eighteenth. It'd been St. Patrick's Day before we would have made it out of (laughs) that. So I finally told uh, the people in the village set up a base of fire, which they did, and and got my my guys get out to get. Squad at a time, we go. You go down that uh, um, that rice paddy as fast as you can, and and you don't stop. And the only time you stop is to pick up a marine who's been shot. Mm-hmm. The Marines don't leave anybody on the battlefield. Mm-hmm. And they did. They went hell bent for leather. And it took us about an hour and a half, I guess, to get out of there. I think we cut the enemy off, off guard. They, they didn't expect us to do something like that. They thought they were going to keep us pinned down and then, and then, and then walk all over us at night. Mm-hmm. And so they didn't expect us breaking out like that. So, uh, as I said, we got everybody uh, out. I was the last one out. And uh, I remember when I was running, the last one I was running, I, uh, battalion commander had come forward, a little current Lieutenant Colonel Leon Utter, phenomenal guy. And he says, Lieutenant, I need to talk to you. I said, sir, I'm too busy right now. and I ran right by him. And uh, I got all my troops in, in position uh, in, in with the other companies. And then I went back and I reported it to Colonel Utter, battalion commander. And, and we discussed what had happened. Um, then I sat with a gunny and we had to write down the people we had lost mm. and uh, resupply for the next morning. And, uh, and we, we fought the enemy all night. They murdered us. Uh, the next morning, I remember that, uh, General Platt, Jonas Platt, uh, uh, Brigadier General, flew in. He and I crawled up on a knoll uh, at the edge of Kifu looking out there, and I sort of pointed stuff out to him, what had happened. And and uh, and then um, then we mounted up, and uh, again, a battalion movement out towards Route 1 at the, at the end of the operation. And uh, we got down to Route 1, and 2-7 and, uh, boarded trucks to go south to Chulai, and I boarded uh, a uh, hotel company. On trucks to go north to uh, Danang, and just as we're getting on the trucks, we get sniper fire from this village. And of course, my tr- my troops are up in the trucks, dead tired. Haven't slept in thirty six hours, been through a hell of a battle, uh, physically and mentally wore out. So there was an Antos, which you know is a track vehicle with six uh, recoilless rifles on it. It was the uh, convoy uh, security that came down from from Danang with the, with the trucks to take us home. I jumped up on that, and I said, Sergeant, see that hut over there? Level it. And he let two or three of those uh, recoilless rifles go, level the hut. The uh, sniper fire stops. Colonel Utters comes running up. He said, what the hell's going on up here? I told him. He says, well, it looks like, once again, you made a good decision. He uh, said, good luck uh, on your trip back to Danang." Uh, he says, "We'll be in contact and he went back down and got on his trucks. I got on our trucks. we got into a into a landing support area i mean a logistic support area and, and route back up to uh denang, oh probably ten o'clock that night and uh we circled the wagons and uh the trucks and the, and and then i put my my troops down in we were inside the perimeter, mm-hmm. so I put my troops down on the trucks, get some sleep. And about midnight, there's somebody tugging on my boot, and I come up out of there, and it's some major, and he says, "You know that lieutenant was in charge of your security detail coming down with the trucks from today. has put you on report for using excessive force." So I had some words with the major, and I says, "You can court martial me, but do it in the morning. I'm going back to bed." <laughs> and I got back under. Guys, an hour later, someone's pulling my boot again. Well, I come up out of there, swinging the lieutenant colonel when he said I settled down he <laughs> said uh, you got to come down to the command post uh, we need to talk to you I think you're going to get a Sunday school medal out of what you did today so I went down there and they quizzed me about what went on and all of that and, uh, and then I uh, went back to bed the next morning got up and uh, was per- preparing to load up and continue my road march up to to um, Da Nang, and uh, a, a young infantry captain was sent down to assume command of the company. Uh, I don't know why the hell they couldn't have waited eight more hours but until I got back to Denang, But anyways, so this captain, I just, I slew him, shook his hand, and, uh, and he took over the convoy and all of that.
0: And that and, and that is back. and that was the change of command from ha- ha- how that you had assumed head. command yeah. in the middle of uh, a firefight. Let yeah. me read the last half of the citation, <laughs> and I want to ask you a few questions about it. Uh, and what was an incredible forty-eight hours, I guess, so to, so to to look at here. It says his sound and swift decisions and his obvious calm st- served to stabilize the badly decimated units, and his gallant example as he stood exposed repeatedly to point out targets, served as an inspiration to all. Provided with two armed helicopters, he moved fearlessly through enemy fire to control the air attacks against a firmly entrenched enemy while skillfully directing one platoon in a successful counterattack on the key enemy positions. Having thus cleared a small area, he requested and directed the landing of two transport helicopters for the evacuation of the dead and wounded. He then assisted in mopping up the final seizure of the battalion's objective. How many that paid the ultimate price on that day did you guys get out of there?
1: Well, I brought 133 out. So I, uh, my reward is not the number of enemy that I killed, but the number of Marines and Navy corps that I saved. So uh, we, 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 we had a pretty heavy, uh, uh, wounded and killed, but, uh, uh, the main thing is we think about the those who came out, and uh, so uh, we we showed them. Uh, mess with a bull, you get the horns, and they messed with the wrong bull, and uh, so we were successful overall. And as I said, uh, uh, we might have we bloodied our nose a little, but we didn't lose the battle.
0: Yeah, yeah. You in in a in a matter of moments are two weeks in country, you're shot at for the first time and the commander dies in your arms. Um, that is incredibly, uh, incredibly powerful. And, and, uh, and I know that that likely gave you that adrenaline pop to just do what you knew, knew to do in this moment, which was lead and, and command. And, and, the, and the men fell in on that as well. There's something pretty incredible in the way you described the story. You've said it a few times. They didn't even know my name, yet they knew to fall in. And, and that's why you were ultimately able to, even with those amount of casualties, pull everybody out. And that's the American way, right? That's the American spirit of ensuring that no man was left behind on that day.
1: Oh, that's right. And, you know, they knew I had a bar, a, gold, a silver bar, first lieutenant on my shoulder, and And it's amazing Uh, when I started making decisions and my decisions worked, uh, gave them confidence to uh, charge on. And as I said, they, they did it uh, when I told them to do something, they did it. Mm -hmm. And if I told uh, one Marine to go do something, he got shot. And I pointed at the next one, the next one never hesitated. So, but that's the way we are trained. We trained, we trained, we trained. Uh, I knew what training that these Marines had had. And uh, I knew what place to, you know, I, I say that day I was, Walking down the trail, I was a lineman, you know. And when that company commander was killed and I took over the company, I went from being a lineman to a quarterback. And I knew what plays to call that day because I knew what training these young Marines had. And I knew that they were ready because they trained, they trained, and trained. And they've been in country now for quite a while. And they, they that's the first firefight they'd been in. So, uh, as I said, uh, you're training, you know what the Marine on your left, your right's going to do uh, before he does it. So you, you're doing the right thing. It's like train, like a football team. You train all week for that game on Saturday. Well, that was our Saturday. That was uh, that was our Super Bowl game. Mm. We're going for the championship, and we won the championship. So, um like I said, I've, I've worn that medal now for 57 years of honor of those great Marines and phenomenal Navy corpsmen that fought with me on the battlefield
0: that day. Let's read the last part here. It says, his gallant uh, initiative and heroic conduct reflected great credit upon himself and were in keeping in the highest tradition of the Marine Corps and the U.S. Naval Service. Um, What a day that was at the start of your Vietnam journey. Uh, And this is a singular defining moment, but it wasn't your entire time there. You know, in one in one moment, and I know this has been a huge part of your life because it ultimately ends in that Medal of Honor. And I love how you talk about wearing it for those that you served with. But what was the rest of your time in this war like? Having kicked it off with basically yeah. starting your season with the Super Bowl, <laughs> yeah, how you just yeah. described
1: it. Well, uh, needless to say, uh, uh, I was not sent out on any more patrols. I I was in the battery area, and I. I worked on the guns in the fire direction center. And then, and then I moved over to the a, a 155 unit to get a little more knowledge about that. And, uh, you know, I was only there for a couple of months. And then I was sent back to Pearl Harbor to do what I was, uh, the purpose of this trip was to talk about Vietnam, the battle, the people, et cetera, et cetera. Well, um, I will have to talk about when I got back to my, my, uh, my Marines at, Guard Detachment Waiala Uh, and uh, so, uh, but you know, I uh, uh, you say it was a defining moment. It, it, I uh, you know, also you know, survival of fitness is a strong motivator. Mm. So mm-hmm. uh, that keeps you going on the battlefield. And the fact that uh, you see one of your buddies, uh, and I've got to tell you, the fact that Captain, the word got to Captain Gormley died, uh, that pissed them all off. And they were fired up. I, I almost had to use range on them mm. once I got them going. And uh, because they were, they were, uh, they were very upset. But, you know, I, uh, uh, I went back for my second tour in Vietnam in 68, 69. And I became a battery commander of Echo Battery 2nd Battalion 12th. the same battery I was in as a Ford observer and, uh, and had a great, had a great tour as a battery commander. So, um, well,
0: yeah, it's incredible. So that's December 18th, 1965 in part of a 27 year Marine Corps, uh, career. When are you awarded the medal? How long did, how long did that
1: Yeah, it it, it takes a while because, you know, formal, get all the, uh, uh, um, statements and, you know, the most phenomenal thing for me is to know that I received the Medal of Honor based on statements that were written by my troops. Yeah. Uh, th- that's pretty awesome. Uh, they've thought enough of you uh, to, uh, to be part of this, this uh, uh, chain of uh, awards to receive, uh, you know, the highest award. And that's the Medal of Honor. Uh, when I got back to the battery area uh, after getting cleaned up. And I went to the hospital. I had an emergency foot and I slept for a day and took a shower and went in the mess tent. And, uh, and, a, and the battery commander came in and said, did you hear the news? I says, what news? He says, oh, I got a call last night that general waltz put you in for the medal of honor. I dropped my coffee cup. I dropped my coffee cup right there. You know, I, I, I you know, I was just happy to be alive for God's sake. And, uh, well, then it all started, you know, the interviews, the, statements uh and then uh, of course it goes through a long process i finally uh i was decorated on the 27th of february 1967 a year and a half ago i guess and uh in washington dc um and uh was quite a day. i was going to date have college roommates many who were in the battle with me and and um and and um in vietnam and of course my mom and dad i mean uh it's, it's been it was it's been quite a trip for them The the heartache and concerns they had mm. with me in vietnam and then and then the emotionalisms of receiving the medal of honor and all the jazz and mizazz that goes along with it um, it's uh it was an emotional time
0: yeah yeah 57 years later you serve as the legacy chair for the Congressional Medal of Honor Society, uh, or uh, and we're going to talk about what that means and and what your role is and in, in, in what you do there. Every time you put it on, what's that? What's that experience like? Every time that that you pin that around your neck.
1: Well, it you know it makes you stop, pause, and reflect on 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 the medal and those who fought with you. And uh, you know, I've always. Uh, Especially when I was in the Pentagon, uh, when I was assistant secretary, I, I, I had a tough decision made. I, I, I would hold that medal in my hand and I would think about those who lost their lives doing what I told them to do. And I'd say, what would they think about my decision? So I always felt that I made the right decision uh, for the right reasons at the right time. Uh, although I was a political appointee, if the politics said to say yes to a question and I felt in my heart that my Marines would want me to say no, I said no.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Now, I fell off a few Christmas card lists, I got to tell you. (laughs) Yeah. But that's the way it is. That's okay. The way it is. I I didn't want to let those Marines who thought so much of me down. So it's been a uh it's been hard to wear at times uh it gets emotional as i've said uh i i'm at events that i finally walk out on because i don't want one more person to slap me on the back tell me how great i am what a great job i get pump my arm blow smoke you know where i just i i i've had it i walk out i mm. i can only take so much of that
0: Well, and you—you know—throughout our conversation today, you've continued to bring it back to uh, to those that were on the battlefield that day, and 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 that's incredible. All right, so the legacy chair for the Congressional Medal of Honor Society, which means you get to do impactful work. Uh, The legacy provides a cornerstone for the various educational programs of the society, and and quite frankly, you know, they say without their stories, without your stories, without the stories of your fellow Medal of Honor recipients, you know, you don't have things like those educational programs, the Valor Outreach programs. Character development, all really critically important programs that the society does. so tell me a little bit about the work you're doing there and, just, and, and well and the, what main, you get the main
1: thing is uh, is uh, keeping the finger on fellow recipients, keep them moving forward, uh, ensuring that they uh, participate in in, uh, in the interviews, the telling of our stories. so because you know our character development program that we, we have in the schools around this great country mm-hmm. are all based on our citations, our, our living histories. Uh, and, you know, and in those, in those um, living histories that we take, uh, it's not all about war. You know, war is horrifying, not glorifying. So we don't talk about the, the, the hurt, the blood, the guts. We talk about lessons learned uh, about your fellow man, service before self because uh, it's not about me. It's about the Marine on my right, the Marine on my left, the Marine behind me. So, um, uh, so that's the main thing is that, that we document uh, for posterity, uh, what we have done and lessons we've learned in life and, and tie in um, that into, into their, our programs, our character development program. And then the, uh, the veteran outreach, you know, we get out and talk to other veterans groups. You know, I I go out and talk to Vietnam veterans and I remind them that we did not lose that war in Vietnam. The war was lost by the gutless politicians in Washington who wouldn't come up with a strategy and stick to it. If they had let us fight that war with the weapons and a strategy that we have trained and trained and trained you know, it have been over. We, you know, we, as I said earlier, we got our nose bloodied a few times. in Vietnam, But we never lost a battle. And so I tell these vets, I says, be proud of what you did. You did what your country asked you to do. You went to help out a country to put out their hand who needed help fighting communism. We did that and we did it well. And so be proud of what you did. And then I remind them especially when, the, when the, a reporter says, how does it feel to be fighting a war that you lost? And I, I jumped right up. and I said, we didn't lose that. If you think of it, that we were the Catholic agent to make the wall come down. Communism as we knew it as kids uh, fell down at, because of the actions that we took in Vietnam. The wall came down. The bear died. The bear went in a cave. I hate to admit it right now, but the bear is, got his nose out of the cave again. Yeah. Yeah. I hope we don't have to put them back in it. Yeah. But uh, so I, I, I remind our, our, our Vietnam guys, be proud of what you did. And don't be afraid to talk about it. Let people know what you did, why you did it. And, uh, and uh, so uh, and now I, I, I do the same with the young whippersnappers from Afghanistan, who, who some of them are got their chins down around their their knees right now but I remind them that they too did what their country asked them to do and they did it well. And that, uh, we're not involved in the political decisions. Uh, we do what the civilian leadership tells. So come on, guys, says uh, stick your head up, throw your shoulders back. Be proud of the fact that you wore the cloth of this country. And many of you lost a lot of blood doing that. and went through a lot of heartache and your families went through a lot of heartache, but, uh, you know, um, our freedoms are worth fighting for. And you did your part. So be proud of it. Yeah. And uh, how it's all going to come out, who the hell knows?
0: You know, it's incredibly powerful. You think, you know, we, as we sit today, uh, we're recording this in middle of October. So we're about a month away from uh, Marine Corps birthday, November 10th. We're also about a month away, November the 11th from Veterans Day. And it sounds to me, if I were to ask you, what is your message to your fellow veterans or to proud Americans who want to thank veterans it's maybe tucked in that. It's to remember that those who put the cloth on, uh, every single one of them, uh, and those who went into foreign land to defend our nation, those who have defended it here at home. Um, it is to take pride in that, to take pride in those moments of stepping up and doing what your country asked it to do.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, first of all, the uh, 10th of November is the 246th birthday of our glorious corps and uh And many units aren't going to celebrate this year because of the 50 people rule and the distancing and the and the darn uh, new uh, strain of of COVID coming back. so uh, uh, the uh, celebrations are going to be uh, tamed down this year, but you no know, Marines have always uh, uh didn't know a marine didn't like a party. you know if there are two marines together, there's a party on the first on the 10th of November.
0: And there's definitely going to be a big sheet cake.
1: Yeah. And, and we're proud of, of the legacy of our core. And uh, we have tried and I tell the young people of today, you know, hopefully uh, you can put your foot in the footsteps, my footsteps, because I put mine in the footsteps of those from Korea and those from Korea put their feet in the same footsteps as those of World War II. And uh, you know, our core has a, a great history behind it. and The heritage of, And I think that's what uh, brought a lot of Marines through some tough times is thinking about what others have done because no Marine wants to tarnish the, uh, the great history of our Corps and uh, tarnish the Marines uh, heritage that's gone before us and do anything to uh, discredit uh, what they have gained. So, uh, so we, we gather that day to, uh, uh, to remember what these great Marines did and, and we recognize the oldest Marine present, and then the youngest Marine present, who's going to take over from the oldest Marine someday. And of course, that leads into uh, Veterans Day, where we stop, pause, and reflect on on what veterans have done over the years for our great country. Travel across the oceans, through the air above them, and the seas below them to to uh, ensure that uh, the bad guys stay across the oceans and don't come to our country. And they fight for the freedoms that, that have made our country so great. Uh, so um, it's a chance to thank veterans. And I think, I think people should, especially at 11 o'clock that day, stop, pause and remember Armistice Day. The war was over. And what, what uh, those who fought in Europe and through Asia did uh, to prevent the spread of fascism, Nazism, Uh, Communism Uh, So uh, You know Freedom in free Mm -hmm. There ain't no free lunch out there Mm -hmm. And uh, the percentage Of those who have served uh, In this country is very low And I think a lot of people uh, I I fear that When I'm standing with a hand over my heart At 11 o'clock On the 11th um, They'll be at the mall Shame on them
0: It's why we, you know, we talked about this the other day. It's why we are trying to be so intentional with with the content that we're sharing here, the stories that we're sharing here. Because our thought is, let's continue to talk about these things so we can remember everyone that this is the America that even through our imperfections has always been the one willing to bear the burden. In fact, uh, I'm reminded of what President Kennedy said and you'll remember this, he said, let every nation know whether it wishes us well or ill, that we shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend. That's important line in there. Support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. It is our solemn duty, I think, as the United States of America to do that. That's what we are. That's why this nation was created. That's why God put his hand on this nation at the creation of it, I believe. It's my personal opinion, right? To, to be that, to assure the survival and the success of liberty.
1: That's how yeah. Well, you know, as I said, you know, we've been fighting isms uh, forever. World War II, Nazism, fascism, uh, uh, Korea communism, Vietnam communism. Uh, then we fought the hardest ism, terrorism. Mm-hmm. Now, I think we're fighting an ism that our country doesn't know how to fight because they don't, they're not up to fighting it. They think it's socialism. Mm. And I want to tell you, people got to learn from history. I tell everybody, if they think socialism is so damn good, go talk to Venezuelans. Look how, look where they were. One of the richest countries in the world. All productions. Everybody living high in the hog. And they adopted socialism. Look where they are today. Crippled. Look at the, look at the people from Venezuela. They're trying to get out of there to come to the United States. Uh, because we're not under socialism yet. Mm-hmm. So we better, we better start drawing a line. Wake up, America. Wake up, America. You know, I don't know what it's... You know, I, I hate to say it, but we lost a lot of people on September 11, 2001. But it was a wake up call for America. It sure was. For about uh, nine months, everybody was hyped up and mad and flying the flag. How quick they forget, how quick they forget. You know, um, I've seen too many great Americans pass through the gates of Arlington National Cemetery on a casket draped with our, with, our, with our American flag. To ever let anybody disrespect it. And uh, as to, to, to those who have fought, uh, it's more than merely more than a piece of cloth. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's something that, that kept them dri- driven. Look at the POWs who made American flags out of scraps. You know, that's got to tell people something. And uh,
0: Colonel, I've heard stories of villages across Europe, across France, where American flags still wave in windows today because of that liberation that we provide. I think we do that. I'm also reminded of a line that President Reagan once had talking about Arlington National cemetery. And he says those row upon row of markers, each one of those markers is a monument. And so I'm just so grateful that you're able to come on and, and talk to us today, and take a moment and lean in, lean in and reflect. Right, Lean in and be grateful. Let's be a grateful nation. Let's be the America right, that runs in. Let's be the America that after Pearl Harbor ran in. Let's be the one that liberated those people across Europe, right, where those flags still wave today. Let's be the ones that ran into the building on 9-11. Right? Let's continue to be those things. So let's be the ones like you on this day that when the all hell broke loose, sprung into action and ensured that you pulled all 133 of those men out of there. I think if we can take time and reflect on this and do that, then we can maybe put those things that they want to divide us to the side for a little while and kind of remember who we are.
1: Well, I think that's true. And I, I pray to God that, uh, that we get uh, a handle on all this. You know, the world is in the worst shape uh, and more turmoil than I've ever seen in my life. And, uh if we don't, uh, get step with the beat of the drum and do the right thing at the right time for the right reasons and take the politics out of it mm-hmm. and stop worrying about uh, um, well i i just i'm lost for words i I'm just i hear you i can't believe that that uh, that folks uh, won't do that and i and i pray that on on veterans day that we, everybody stop pauses and reflects and dedicates themselves to the principles of this great country
0: beautiful can't say it any better uh, myself. So we're so incredibly grateful for you sharing your story. You know, one thing we say here often on this show is we we say thank you for your service. Thank you for all that you've done and all that you continue to do. Uh, what an incredible story. Not just that one day, but what is uh, just your life experience uh, and your perspective here as well. Thank you so much, Colonel Barnum.
1: Oh, my pleasure. God bless the separate five.
0: I'm Brian Jodis. He's Colonel Barney Barnum, and this has been Pick Up the Six Podcast.